The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 16, verses 17 to 26. He went down with them and stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a large number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, as well as from the coastal area of Tyre and Sidon. These people came to listen to him and to be healed of their diseases. Those who were troubled by unclean spirits were also cured. The whole crowd kept trying to touch him because power was going out from him and healing them all. He lifted up his eyes to his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, because yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, because you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you whenever people hate you, and whenever they exclude and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because of this. Your reward is great in heaven. The fact is their fathers constantly did the same things to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich because you are receiving your comfort now. Woe to you who are well fed now because you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now because you will be mourning and weeping. Woe to you when all people speak well of you because that is how their fathers constantly treated the false prophets. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. It is a little hard to know how to take the eight sayings of Jesus Christ that you hear in today's Gospel. One of the most gifted Bible scholars and preachers that I have ever known said once during a speech that for his entire 45-year ministry as a pastor, he always avoided preaching on the gospel that you heard earlier in this service. He avoided it for 45 years because he said he does not know how to understand the things that Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, and because he could not understand them himself, he thought it would be quite foolish to try to help the people in his congregations understand what Jesus means. And it is hard to understand what Jesus is saying. How exactly should I take it when I hear the Son of God say, Woe to you who are well fed now, because you will be hungry. I am a well fed American. Should I be frightened by those words of Jesus? If I am well fed now, does that mean I'm on the highway to hell and eternal hunger? How? How should I take it when Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, because yours is the kingdom of God. I have a savings account. I'm probably among the 0.1% wealthiest human beings who have ever lived on this planet. Does that mean that I can't reach the kingdom of God? I mean, the first reaction, if you're a typical contemporary American Christian and you read some of these sayings of Jesus Christ, might be, oh, I'm in trouble. This is bad news. And it is hard to understand. But in order to understand, the first important thing to notice is who Jesus is speaking to when he says these words. When Jesus speaks these, eight ble these four blessings and four curses, he is not speaking to everybody and anybody in the world. He is speaking only to his disciples, people who already believe in him. The purpose 
of these statements of Jesus Christ is to help his people understand how to think like a disciple. How to view reality as a follower of Jesus Christ. See, watch this. At the beginning of the day, Jesus is addressing a huge crowd that's full of everybody and anybody. He went down with them and stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a large number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem, as well as from the coastal area of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, that's Gentile territory. These people came to listen to him and to be healed of their diseases. So Jesus starts the day by speaking to a huge, diverse crowd of people. You have Jews and you have Gentiles, presumably old and young, men and women. So you have all different kinds of people in this crowd, and they have different agendas, too. Some people in this crowd just want to listen to Jesus talk. They just want to learn about the kingdom of heaven. Other people want to be healed of diseases and demon possession, and and Jesus obliges He preaches and teaches to these people. He heals their diseases. But then suddenly, Jesus stops talking to everybody. He lifted up his eyes to his disciples and said. And now what follows are eight statements that are paradoxes, which is why they are hard to understand. Understanding fully that we have some people in this congregation who are English majors and nerdy And you know what a paradox is. You don't need anybody to explain to you what a paradox is. Also understanding there are some children here who haven't made it into high school yet. There are a couple of people I know watch online. They haven't been speaking English their whole life. And this isn't a term that you come across every day. So if you find it condescending to have a paradox explained to you, I apologize. Please just sacrifice the next 90 seconds of your life for the sake of those who could maybe benefit from it. A paradox is a statement that on the surface makes no sense at all. It is a statement that contradicts itself and cannot be true. Many of these paradox statements, however, have a key that unlocks them. Sometimes there is a lens that you can look through and then the paradox starts to make sense. A Couple of examples. Very common paradox is less is more. That is a very stupid sounding statement, right? On the surface, it contradicts itself. It can't be true. But when you look at it through this lens, that if you pull back a little bit in the short run, you might get more output in the long run. Ah, when you look at it that way, then it kind of starts to make sense, right? Or you have to spend money to make money. Sounds absurd, unless you use the key of investing, right? Then the statement starts to make sense. So when Jesus speaks these paradoxes to us, eventually we're going to need some kind of key to have them make sense. Because when Jesus speaks, and again, he's speaking only to his own disciples, he is laying on these paradoxes hard and heavy. Blessed are you who are poor, because yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, because you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you whenever people hate you, and whenever they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Now on the surface, it's all crazy nonsense. Poverty is a kingdom. Hunger will be satisfaction. Sorrow will be 
laughter. And when you are hated, excluded, and insulted, you should meet it with this reaction, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. And yet, Jesus' disciples, and remember, that's who he's speaking to, Jesus' disciples accept as true these statements that on the surface are impossible. They accept that it is true. It is possible for you to be poor right now in the present and at the same time to be the owner of a kingdom of infinite wealth. Jesus' disciples accept this statement because they accept there is a reality that we do not see right now with our eyes. There is a kingdom that belongs to us right now so that even if we are poor, we are also wealthy at the same time. And you will notice that some of these paradoxes Jesus speaks are off in the future. They are things that will happen someday. But that first one is right now in the present. Even though you are poor right now, you are also the owner of incredible wealth because there is a kingdom that belongs to you right now in the present that you do not see. And then you see the rest of the paradoxes are off in the future. Someday, the kingdom that belongs to you now that you do not see, you will see. You will see the reality of that kingdom and then all of these other paradoxes are going to kick in too. When you see that kingdom, the hunger that you are experiencing now, that will be satisfied. The mourning and sorrow that you experience now, that will be laughter. And the persecution that you suffered in this world will be rewarded by your Heavenly Father. This is how disciples of Jesus Christ think. This is how Jesus' followers view reality. And these first four statements that Jesus speaks are often called Beatitudes because they all start with the phrase, blessed are you. Jesus' disciples, his followers, are always blessed. We are in a constant state of blessedness because Jesus tells us here, dear disciple, even if you are poor in this world, you are the owner of an infinite kingdom that you will one day see where all pain will become pleasure. This is how Jesus' disciples think. The next four statements that Jesus speaks are not Beatitudes. Because instead of starting with the phrase, blessed are you, they all start with the phrase, woe to you. And yet these four statements are also paradoxes. They pronounce a woe, a curse, on any disciple of Jesus Christ who falls in line with the world's way of thinking and the world's way of seeing things, which is this. What you see here and now is all there is. There is no such thing as any kingdom that is hidden from your view now that you will one day see and receive every good thing. What you see here and now, that's it. That's all. And you catch this attitude of now and here in the way Jesus speaks. But woe to you who are rich because you are receiving your comfort now. Woe to you who are well fed now. Woe to you who laugh now. Of course we know God often blesses Jesus' disciples with plenty of good things to eat now. My guess is later this afternoon, right around 6.30, many of you will be standing in front of a 
a table with more than enough good things to eat. And God often blesses Jesus' disciples with laughter now. He often blesses Jesus' disciples with wealth now. So why does Jesus go so dark here with his own disciples? Because if all you see is here and now, then those blessings that God gives you become curses. What you see here and now becomes your highest good. It becomes your God. Why does Jesus speak this way to his own disciples? Because thinking this way even a little bit is too much. And we think this way more than just a little bit. The way a disciple of Jesus should be thinking all the time is that what I see here and now is not all there is. And no matter what I have here and now, I have a kingdom. I'm going to see it one day and I'm going to have every good thing. But thinking in any other terms than what I see here and now is difficult. And it's getting harder and harder in our world all the time. When I order something online, I expect to see it here on my porch now. Tomorrow at the latest. If I'm being generous, I'll give you until tomorrow morning. When I go to the grocery store, and I see now an empty shelf where my preferred brand of flavored water should be sitting. This is a crisis about which I will confront the manager and be told that I must simply wait for the next shipment to arrive. And that's not good enough. Because yes, there may be 45 other brands of flavored water. And yes, nobody needs flavored water to live. But it's my brand and I want to see it here and I want to see it now. And our world's desire for instant gratification in everything grabs hold of us and grips us. And simply waiting, waiting patiently and trusting that there are good things you don't see right here, right now, but you will one day, that gets harder and harder and harder all the time. But now, here's the paradox. If you only live for what you see here and now, you are pretty likely to get your good things here and now in this world, if that's all you work for and that's all you're going for. But here and now will become your God. And the good things that you just couldn't wait for, well, those will give way to hunger and sadness and poverty. So it is in love that our Savior Jesus speaks these woes to his own disciples to remind them what you see here and now is not all there is. And when your life is not going well, when you are experiencing mourning or hunger or sadness, when your life isn't turning out the way you dreamed it would when you were a kid or whatever other problems you are having, remember what you see here and now, that's not the whole story. You already own a kingdom. And one day, you will see it. And yet, here we are, now, in this world, and what we see is what we see. So we hear Jesus tell us how his disciples should be thinking, how we should view reality, and we have to be left asking, well, what is it that is going to make Jesus' disciples see things this way? And the answer is Jesus is the one who lifts the eyes of his disciples who can be so shallow and now obsessed. He is the one who lifts our eyes and focuses us on the kingdom that we will one day see where God will bless us with every good thing. And the rest of this sermon is about 
how Jesus does that for us. Here is a, a story, a prime example of a Christian Jesus did that for. About 30 years ago, there was a 35-year-old Christian lady named Sylvia Dunstan. She was a Christian poet, wife, and mother. At 35 years old, she went in for a routine doctor visit where they found cancer that could not be treated, and she was told she had just a few months left to live. And she decided to spend those last months in this world writing hymns. And one of the hymns she wrote was named Christ Paradox. And this is it. You, Lord, are both lamb and shepherd. You, Lord, are both prince and slave. You, peacemaker and sword bringer of the way you took and gave. You, the everlasting instant, you whom we both scorn and crave. Clothed in light upon the mountain, stripped of might upon the cross. Shining in eternal glory, beggared by a soldier's toss. You, the everlasting instant, you who are both gift and cost. You who walk each day beside us, sit in power at God's side. You who preach a way that's narrow, have a love that reaches wide. You, the everlasting instant, you who are our pilgrim guide. Worthy is our earthly Jesus. Worthy is our cosmic Christ. Worthy your defeat and victory. Worthy still your peace and strife. You, the everlasting instant, you who are our death and life. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Would you consider it strange on the surface that a person who just received that news would write a hymn that ends with the words, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. How could a person in that situation write something like that? Could we not say that on the surface it makes no sense? Could we not call a person in that situation writing three Alleluia's a paradox? How could she do that? Because the Savior Jesus in whom she trusted is the divine paradox, as Miss Dunstan expresses so beautifully in that hymn. Jesus is the Son of God, and he is the Son of Man. He's total glory, he's pure humility. Jesus knows no sin, but he becomes sin for us on the cross. He is the one who walks beside us every day of our lives, and at the same time is sitting at the right hand of his heavenly Father. He is, in Miss Dunstan's words, our death and life. Jesus is the biggest paradox ever. Jesus is the divine paradox, but like many paradoxes, there is a key that makes sense of him. There is a way to look at Jesus, and he makes sense, and the key is faith, given by the Holy Spirit. You know, with that gift of faith, a two- or three-year-old Christian kid can look up at Jesus, the most confusing, paradoxical thing there has ever been. A three-year-old can look up at Jesus and say, that's not so hard. That makes perfect sense. Jesus loves me. He takes my sins away. Jesus, faith in him is the key. And remember, he lifted up his eyes to his disciples 
and said. It is to those with faith that Jesus speaks these four blessings that on the surface make no sense. And it's those with faith that Jesus lovingly warns with these woes. By faith we believe in the one who is the Son of God and the Son of Man, total glory and total humility, who reigns in our hearts and reigns on high at the same time. Jesus is the paradox in whom we believe, and when he lifts up his voice and says to us, his disciples, we believe when he says, there is a reality you do not see, and you are always blessed because the kingdom of heaven is yours. This is how Jesus' disciples think, and in him, it all makes perfect sense. Amen.